0: Curious Insights from History. A little history with a little insight in just a little of your time. I'm your host, John Walker. Okay, looking forward to another good story today. I'm going to start talking first again about James Gordon Bennett. If You've listened to the other two episodes. We talked about him a little bit before. He's the man that's responsible for the animal hoax. The New York Herald Magazine came up with a big fake story of wild animals getting loose from the zoo. Another little story about James Gordon Bennett. He was a bit of a ladies' man, a little bit of a man who cared too much about women in general and those kind of things. He was a bachelor. Yeah, he fooled around quite a bit. He drank. He had all kinds of things of that nature that we think of. But eventually, he was agreed to be engaged. I guess he was probably the instigator of the agreement to a young lady named Caroline May. Evidently, she was a beautiful lady of, you know, the right kind of person, all those kind of things. And they were actually engaged to be married. He was going to settle down. But New Year's Day, January the 1st, 1877, as was normal at the time, people went around from house to house and would drink and then go to another house and drink. And, of course, by the end of the day, there were quite a few people that were a little bit inebriated. Our hero, I use the term loosely, James Gordon Bennett, was involved in all of that drinking. Finally, he comes to his girlfriend's house, the May estate, and for some reason, without provocation, he relieves himself into the May's grand piano. Well, as you can imagine, people didn't take very kindly to that, Uh, just to help us with our other episodes, he bedewed... The may's piano in a most inappropriate way and i would say it was a clear violation of anybody's rules of civility and decent behavior and company in company and conversation the wedding as you might guess was off and a burly brother of caroline may's named frederick may the next day found our hero james gordon bennett and started beating him with his buggy whip and they scuffled in the ground Bennett kind of lost that. He got hit a little bit, but he was hurt by it, and he knew that the Mays were of southern sensibilities, and so he challenged Frederick May to a duel. It was completely illegal to duel at that time, so everything had to be done in secret, and they swore enough people to secrecy and got enough secret people to do it and went off and actually carried out a duel. Evidently, May's gun discharged by accident, Maybe he did it on purpose. It was a common thing for people to do in a duel. Bennett decided that he was not going to kill him, but he just wanted to wound him. And so it was a flesh wound. It wasn't that serious. But that was the end of the duel, and that was one of the last duels in history. And our friend James Gordon Bennett was also involved in that. Dueling. It seems kind of like a crazy thing to us these days. You have offended my honor. I must get satisfaction. Kind of a silly thing for people to do, but you know the the thing is, back in the old days, in the Civil War times and before that, eighteen seventy seven is a little after the Civil War. Uh, you read about guys fighting in the Civil War, and they'll write home to their wives and say, "I would much rather die honorably in battle than to dishonor our name. I would much rather die honorably in battle." than to dishonor our name. I guarantee you there were wife after wife after wife who received that letter and said, Nonsense! Dishonor or no, you stay alive and get home. We need you here. Yeah, it was a time when honor meant something, and you know this is, this is your vocabulary word of the day. If you were ever challenged to a duel and did not respond, there was a special word for you. You were called a poltroon. And poltroon means ultimate coward, coward 2.0. It's your word for the day. You're welcome. Dueling is kind of crazy, but I have to admit, for me, there's something that appeals to me about it. There's something about the fact that guys are walking around, They they value what people see about them. They value the fact that they have lived their lives in an honorable fashion. They value the fact that they are full of integrity, doing the right things, and it matters to them, and you can't come up to them and challenge that without them wanting to fight you. There's something about that that appeals to me, because I think a lot of the time today I know some people who are, are accused of being less than honorable, and they don't even care. Yeah, so what? Maybe I'm not so honorable. I've got an idea. I'd kind of like to bring dueling back. Now, I'd like it to be a high-tech duel, not like it was. In my high-tech dueling, somebody's going to have to come up with some stuff here, but nobody can be killed. And we factor in the same kind of ambiguities that they had with the dueling back then. It was a smooth-bore gun, so that meant that it wasn't very accurate. It's kind of like throwing a knuckleball. It might go exactly where you meant it to for it to. It might not. It might mistry. It might misfire. Might might charge. Might shoot before it was supposed to. So we'd put all that into our modern high tech duel. Those things would still be possible. But what would happen is, if you did shoot, or however else we do it with our new high tech dueling, if you hit the other person, no permanent damage is done, but they are in utter agony for fifteen minutes. And so when you hit them, they're lying in the floor, screaming, bloody murder, in serious pain. And then after 15 minutes, they can get up and walk off. You can shake hands and say it's done. I'm telling you, this would be a good money maker deal. Can you imagine how many people would pay to see, I don't know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump do our new high-tech duel, knowing that there's a possibility that one or both of them is going to lay on the ground screaming for 15 minutes? Or how about uh, Bill Maher and Rush Limbaugh, something like that? You know, and I think maybe it might slow down some of the name calling and things that happen now. You 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 start saying things about someone and they say, Look here, we're gonna to go to the high tech duel and settle this. I'm not gonna put up with you saying those kind of things to me. Anyway, duels are kind of crazy. There is that interesting thing about them, this honor that people had. And now we get to the part of the of the story where we get the title Dual Disasters. I learned about the Duel of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, reading a really good book, Ron Cherno's book on Alexander Hamilton. When I first finished this book, I thought it was one of the top ten or so books I'd read ever. It's dropped a little since then, but it's still a really, really good book. And it tells about that. Obviously, if you're going to tell the story of Alexander Hamilton, you have to bring up this duel. And, the, you know, the things that are amazing about that is it's not a street fight. You're talking about the seated vice president And who was the Secretary of Treasury? one of the handful, a small handful of most significant guys in the uh, making of our Constitution. Alexander Hamilton was a brilliant guy. Really, really smart. He wrote so much, did so much for us. And they got tangled in a situation they couldn't get out of, I guess. And they decided to have a duel. Hamilton was certainly uneasy about it Uh, he he may have had premonitions that he was going to die who knows what but anyway they get to the duel and Hamilton has already decided or at least we think there's still some things we're not sure about the duel but it appears that Hamilton had decided he was going to give away his shot meaning he was not going to shoot to kill he was not even going to shoot to hit when it came when it came time to fire he was going to shoot into the air and it appears that's what he did he took his pistol and aimed high missed and then in just a couple of seconds, Burr turned his gun on Hamilton and did shoot him in the stomach. And the next day, Hamilton died. That's kind of sad. It's it's terribly sad, actually. I think Hamilton was 46, 48 years old or something like that at the time. Still had a lot to do for our country and for a lot of other things. But that was the end of that. And I, I think that's really a sad story. But when I read this book, there's maybe even a little bit sadder, we go a little deeper. Uh, Alexander Hamilton was charged by the rules of dueling that he was to procure the weapons for the duel. He bought a pair of dueling pistols that had been used before. These dueling pistols had also been used in at least one duel where one of the men died. These same pistols that Alexander Hamilton bought had been used in a duel less than four years before where the young Philip Hamilton was killed in a duel. Yes, Alexander Hamilton's eldest son, less than four years before he died in a duel, had died in a duel. How would you think Eliza Hamilton feels about dueling? that's alexander's wife oh devastated from the things i read she was a strong woman and it was tough it was hard for her to get by it was hard for her to live through it and put up with what a loss that was after philip hamilton had died the eldest son she did give birth to her last child and they named him little phil in honor of his older brother who had been killed and of course In just a few years' time, she's left with little Phil without Alexander Hamilton. And I wonder, good grief, how do you feel after you've won a duel? After you've been in a duel and you've shot a man and he's dead, my goodness, what do you think about those things? You know, my closest experience to that was when I was growing up, you know, occasionally someone would come by and say, John, old Bill wants to fight you. And I always kind of tried to find an excuse. Uh, rarely did I decide that that was a good idea. And that's kind of, it's kind of like grade school kids when they grow up and duel. It's a similar idea. It's a similar kind of thing. I did do a couple of fights. I, I think I was 50-50 in my two fights in my career. You know, you swing three times, somebody gets hit, and it's over anyway when you're little kid's like that. But it is kind of childish. I'm going to throw something out here for us for our big insight for this. We need to learn to say I was wrong. I'm sorry. Si habla español, me equivoqué. Lo siento. Settle matters quickly with your adversary. You know, I've observed that when the when there's an escalation of antagonism it just keeps getting worse first someone hurts your feelings and then they, they hurt yours and then you come back with a bigger bigger threat or a bigger you include you make the circle bigger or make the intensity more and we just it just builds and, builds and builds and builds and builds until there is a final confrontation of some sort but you know the funny thing is if you flip that over and somebody apologizes all of a sudden everybody is racing to apologize Someone says, I'm sorry, it was my fault. Then the other guy says, well, no, 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 it was my fault. I should have. now, no, 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 it was my fault. It was my fault. It's funny how that happens. We try to apologize, and then we get in a, an apologizing contest. You know, if you read modern books on business and relationships, they will frequently say, apologize. Apologize if you think somebody feels shorted. Don't wait around. Apologize. Build the build the, build that bridge. That's gonna it's gonna be paying dividends down the road. You need to do that. Always be ready to apologize. And I think a lot of businesses taking this to the heart. If you've called customer service, you may have run into this. Not long ago, I had you know I had rehearsed in my mind. I'm fixing to give it to them, boy. They have upset John Walker, and they're gonna get the wrath of John. Here it comes. So I call and I get customer service. And this delightful young man with a really nice disposition answers the phone. And he says, I'm sorry you had to wait. How can I help you? Which disarms me a little bit. And then I tie into him with my first point on my rehearsed bullet list. And he quickly apologizes and says, what can we do to fix this? Well, that, that diffuses my whole thing. And in, few, in a few minutes, I'm apologizing to him. Well, it might have been my fault, too. Isn't that funny? It works. It works, people. When you apologize, it works. So we need to think about that. I, I I know when I was a young man, I was much more prone to escalate antagonism than to ever think about apologizing. You know, the thing is, if you over-apologize, you can go back and take it back. Just go ahead and apologize. And if you think you need to reconsider later on, call somebody up and say, Say, I apologized, but I over-apologized. I want to take a little bit. Oh Well, yeah, nobody's going to do that. But we need to be people that are willing to do that. You know, I just think sometimes we're getting in a world where, well, we just want to get in each other's face and fight. Maybe we just need to be back up a little bit and get a little better at apologizing and apologizing when we can. Be bridge builders. So, hey, let's apologize. And as always, hey, read a good book. Try something new. <laughs>